before we start today, um, so this is, uh, I, I joked with Dave two weeks ago that I was going to put on Facebook that if all goes well, it'll be my final week in my current position, um, knowing that the vote last Sunday was coming, um, and I want to thank you as a church uh, for your affirmation and uh, of this process of co-pastoring. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I feel that you feel that I'm a rough piece of clay that God is still molding, and I'm thankful for you guys to let that happen. Uh, and I'm thankful for, for Dave and his leadership and uh, how God has been using him to shape me uh, as, as well as you as a congregation for this opportunity. Um, and so I, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, before we went any further. Uh, That being said, please bow your hearts in prayer with me. God, we we are grateful to you. And it was with whole heart that we sing how great thou art. That we think of you, your son, not sparing. And it's hard to take it in, God, that that Jesus, having glory from eternity past, humbled Himself to be born in Bethlehem in a stable to a carpenter and his wife. To be worshipped by shepherds. To have, as Isaiah tells us, the appearance of a root out of dry ground, that there is nothing to draw us to Him. But God, You have saved us through Him and His sacrifice. I pray now as we open Your Word, we would read it with hearts of gratitude, with hearts of worship, and hearts longing to be instructed by You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, in my quest to always be learning something new and in my feeble attempts to be a little bit cooler, I took the DMAC motorcycle class this spring. I just finished it. Um, And the basic motorcycle riding course. And so according to the DOT and DMAC, I now know how to ride a motorcycle. Um, I, I say that according to them because we... We just did a variety of riding maneuvers on a closed parking lot with no traffic, no stoplights, no pedestrians, uh, and no actual cars out there uh, driving around with us. Uh, We barely went over the speed of 20 miles an hour the whole time, Uh, but I've I've been given a certificate that says I know how to ride a motorcycle. Um, Everything was done in the setting of a practicum. It was a learning lab. It was, here's what a tight turn looks like. But there's no cones on the street that I'm supposed to turn through, right? I'm supposed to go around them, I guess. Um, And there's, everything was done in a practicum. I have no real riding experience, um, but I could go get a license if I pass a written exam this week, which is scary and exciting. Now, for the past five weeks, we've been looking at practical spirituality and what it means to be spiritual, more specifically, practically, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian? 
One problem that we can sometimes run into is that we, if we're not careful, we treat our Christianity like a learning lab. We treat it like a practicum. We go to church, we go to adult Bible fellowship, some of us engage with others in, a, in an intentional small group, we are part of Bible studies, we make sure we listen to 89.7, right, uh, so we can hear preaching all day, because that's what keeps us going. Uh, we have reading plans on version, and we talk with people about, oh, well, well here's what it is, here's how I'm going to, uh, here's how I would follow Jesus in this hypothetical situation, Here's what I'm going to try and do this week. But, but all too often, if you're anything like me, we have those conversations and we forget them after a day or two. And we accidentally treat our Christian community and our time together learning God's Word as a practicum or a learning lab. Uh, and, and it doesn't go much further than that. And it's safe to do that. It requires very little change. It allows us to keep our life into nice, neat compartments. Um, it doesn't get messy when we do that. We, we don't get involved in other people's problems. Uh, we're able to go home, watch the TV programs we want to, the movies we want to, read a book, and go to sleep. Uh, and, it, and it keeps things nice and simple if Christianity is only a learning lab. But is the heart that treats faith like a learning lab, is that honoring to God? Is the heart that treats our faith like a learning lab or practicum, is that heart honoring to God? And I, I feel like the answer is a resounding no. But in fact, the Christian life is nothing like a practicum when it's lived out. The idea of trying to have Christianity only affect... And only have Jesus affect certain parts of our life rarely works and often turns out being messy if we, if we try that. And, and in my experience, when I've tried to keep a part of my life away from Jesus, uh, life gets a little bit more miserable until I finally uh, submit to Him and to His Word and to the Spirit. Christianity, following Jesus, is real life. It's a whole life endeavor and it's what makes life exciting and worth living. At times it's a little frightening, but in the end it's good. As we think about the last few weeks, we, we follow Jesus, we love God, we love people, we are willing to forgive others, we let go of fear because of who God is, we hear from God. And then we naturally reach out. And the Christian life is one that reaches out in various ways. It's one that says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so over time, it progressively looks more like Jesus. And there's a joy and a freedom and a love that comes from that that naturally overflows to the people around us. The natural life of a Christian is one that reaches out in various ways. It becomes more and more natural for us to be generous with our money, our time. It becomes more and more natural when we see someone hurting to start talking to them and, and convey to them the peace that's available in Jesus and the hope that's available in Jesus. It's a life that makes disciples. 
and reacts to the world out of godly compassion. It can't happen in a learning lab or a practicum because to say Christianity was a learning lab or a practicum would mean that we would treat our neighbors and the people around us and the world around us as more of a hypothetical situation than what's really going on. Today, to to talk about reaching out, we're going to look at the Good Samaritan. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open to Luke 10. Now in Luke 10, this this happens uh, about a year before the, the Great Commandment conversation where they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. This is about a year before that, but it's essentially Jesus giving a parable on that instruction. So let's read, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He, Jesus, said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself to Jesus, said this, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest who was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, and pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do, like, go and do likewise. Now this parable is is somewhat unique in that it ends with the instruction, go and do likewise. So as we look at Luke Luke 10, 25-37 as a whole, how do we reach out? How does the Good Samaritan instruct us, the story of the Good Samaritan instruct us in reaching out? Well, if you're taking notes, follow along here. That in following the example of the Good Samaritan, we reach out in response to who people are. In following the example of the Good Samaritan, we reach out in response to who people are. Contextually speaking, 
the story of the Good Samaritan is, is in its simplest form answering who is my neighbor. Which the teacher was concerned about because of love your neighbor as yourself. And the teacher, like any, any good person, doesn't want to love someone he doesn't have to, right? Kidding. Um, now something we need to understand is that our practical actions are start and find their foundation in our beliefs, in our theology, in our philosophy, in what we believe about the world and the people around us. That drives our practical outward actions. So what do you believe about the people around you? And I'm not specifically talking about the people in the pew, but as you go through life, the people you interact with, what do you believe about them? It is becoming increasingly common in our culture to view people as some sort of threat, as a problem to be solved, to be suspicious about anyone and everyone. Um, We view people, strangers, as someone who wants to take advantage of us, someone who is directly opposed to us and therefore an enemy. We view them as an inconvenience. Or maybe worse, we see, and I'm specifically thinking of people in our world who are in need, they just blend into the scenery and we become apathetic to them. There's always a guy in that corner. There's always violence in those neighborhoods. There's always brokenness in this situation. And we become used to it. We grow a callous over that. And we just kind of let it be. We ignore them. When we do this, our actions become sadly close to that of the Levite and the priest who walked by him on the other side of the road. Now Jesus picked this setting very carefully. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was nicknamed the Bloody Way because there were so many robbings on this road. This was, a, this, was, you know, this was going into the bad neighborhood. This was the other side of the tracks. Now it's also, in Jericho, there was a, a set-up community of priests and Levites of about 12,000. And so to get you know, all 12,000 priests and Levites living there, they have temple duties that they have to go to. So it was very common on the Bloody Way that priests and Levites would be walking down the road. And so this idea that a priest or a Levite would be walking from Jericho to Jerusalem and pass by someone who had just been beaten half to death was not an unrational idea. This was very likely. And it's possible that these religious leaders, in their hurry to get to the temple, what they viewed as the important ministry of the temple would walk by and become callous to the view of someone who had been robbed or felt in danger. I'm traveling by myself to the temple. i got to get there. My my shift starts at such and such time. I have no way to defend myself. I don't have time to help them. I don't know what to help them with. Or those people are just on their own. I'm too good for them. Either way, the text depicts the Levite and the priest as intentionally avoiding the beaten man. I don't want to stain my garments. And not so for the Samaritan. Jesus intentionally uses a Samaritan as the hero of this story, while the priest and the Levite 
the holy heroes of the land that they wanted to be were not obeying God by loving their neighbors themselves. So Jesus draws out this marginalized Samaritan. Because God is not pleased or enamored with our pomp and circumstance. Instead, God is pleased with how we love Him and love others. For the Samaritan traveler, this man on the side of the road half dead was no threat. He was not an inconvenience. He was not someone seeking to take advantage of Him. Instead, this man was a person in deep need. More importantly and more specifically, this man was a neighbor in need. Are we able to take on this view that where when we look at someone, we don't see race, we don't see economics, we don't see politics, but we see God's image on a person. Where we see a neighbor who may or may not be in need And we see someone in need of compassion of some sort, in need of knowing God. Can we start viewing people as who they are? People made in God's likeness who may or may not be aware that the God in whose likeness they're made sent His Son to die for their sins. We're all made in God's likeness, but not everyone on earth is aware of that. And they're not aware of the need to recognize God as a heavenly Father through whom, through Jesus they can know. Listen to what J.C. Ryle writes. I have part of the quote up on a slide. J.C. Ryle says this, We must beware of excessive strictness in scrutinizing the past lives of those who need our help. Then, according to the teaching of this parable, we ought to be ready to help them. We should think of the whole world as our parish. And all mankind as our neighbor. We should seek to be the friend of everyone who is oppressed or neglected or afflicted or sick in prison or poor or an orphan or a pagan or a slave or mentally ill or starving or dying. To be friendly to everyone in this way is to show something of the mind that was in Christ. Again, to look at people, and and before we, we look at race, economics, politics, any other kind of background or democrat or, or demographic. Force. Words are hard for me this morning. I, I was low on sleep this weekend due to fishing. <laughs> it was a noble cause. Before we look at demographic categories, can we look at the image of God? Can we look at our neighbors? We must remember that in this, this parable was not told... Uh, with the answer that the Samaritan is my neighbor, but with the answer that the Samaritan acted neighborly. And to act neighborly, to view anyone within proximity of us as our neighbor. My neighbors are not just the people on 11th place in Oak Park. 
My neighbor is who I happen to be next to at the time. In following the example of the Good Samaritan, we reach out in response to who people are. And we also reach out in response to the needs we see. When I was in college and a camp counselor, on Sundays while we were waiting for the campers to show up, the staff would be out and and the campers would get distributed via uh, tractor rides to whatever campsite they were at. So I'm at my campsite with our other counselors and we're standing around talking, waiting for the week to start. Our boss is there with us. And after talking for a few minutes, this, this one girl on staff noticed a candy wrapper on the ground and she went over and picked it up and threw it in the trash can. And our boss immediately responded and and looked at her and said, I'm going to put $10 credit uh, on your account in the camp store. Thanks for picking up that wrapper. I said, well, hey, had I known that, I would have picked it up. (laughs) So I, I didn't quite say it that way, but I I verbally protested, like, oh, man, I wish I would have done that. He goes, yeah, I saw you look right at it three times. (laughs) He wasn't wrong or exaggerating. So many times there's a need right in front of us. But we don't see an immediate incentive for us, or we see the things that that need, taking care of that need will take us from, so we don't do it. In verse 33... The Samaritan walks along the path. He sees the beaten man. He has compassion on him. He starts treating his wounds. He puts the man on his own animal. He walks the man to a hotel. He stays at the hotel, continuing to care for him. The next day, he gives him two denarii, or two days' wages. You can do the math in that. I'm not going to risk doing it in public. He gives him two days' wages, says, care for him. If you need to spend more than this, I'm coming back. I'll stop in and I'll reimburse you. He became the man's health insurance. He took time. He took resources. He took energy. He was willing to be late to something, have a little less money in his pocket or a lot less money in his pocket to see that this man was properly cared for. He gave things he couldn't get back. Some of us would debate doing this much for certain family members. Much less a stranger. So what are the needs around us? A simple need is you look at your neighbors. I heard someone once say, if you have a snowblower, that's an open door to love the people around you in the winter. Get up a little earlier, clear a few extra driveways. If you're like me, you almost hope it snows because you like using machines that go brr, 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 brr. <laughs> Maybe your neighbor's lawn is longer than it normally is and you notice they've been gone a lot. So you just go over and mow it. You notice they've, we, we do this well when someone's sick that we love, we take them food. It's the great evangelical love language of casserole. (laughs) You look at your community. 
I don't, I don't always bring current events right into a sermon. I, I rarely do it. But our city is on track to break the annual record of homicides that we currently hold. There's a lot of need in our communities for people. What if you heard about a homicide? What if there was a homicide on the news? We saw the address of the, the person who died and meals started showing up to him. I'm a stranger. I saw you on the news. I'm praying for you. I know this does nothing to bring back your loved one, but I'm really sorry. Can I pray with you? There's a need in our community for foster care. We've had two girls die of starvation in foster care within the last 12 months. And I know it's a complicated issue, but really what we need is people who happen to have an extra bedroom who are willing to love tough kids. Even though it'll mean for some really messy days and weeks. A few weeks ago, Gary and Kim Bryan got up and talked about safe families, which is another opportunity, very similar to foster care. There shouldn't be children starving to death. There's a great need across the street for tutors all school year. Are you able to rearrange your schedule to help kids read and do math? There's organizations in our town like Agape Pregnancy Center, Freedom for Youth, and Hope Center that are always needing volunteers. There's Philip Herman with Highland Park Community Church. He would love people to come worship on Saturday to help disciple people that are coming to church that haven't ever come to church or haven't come to church in a couple decades. We live in a world where there are 3,100 languages that have no scripture in them. And maybe with your education and your ambition, you can go and work with one of those people groups or strongly support someone who is. You can be involved through actively and intentionally praying as you drive through your neighborhood, as you you can get the Joshua Project app on your phone and every day pray for a people group that does not have the gospel yet. We need to be careful to avoid some dangers here. The first danger is that it can be very easy to see a problem and really want to do something, but be so worried that you're going to do the wrong thing that you kind of get paralyzed and don't do anything. I don't want to create dependency. I don't want to, I don't want to take away from someone else's ministry. I don't want to interject where I don't belong. I don't want to help in a way that's actually hurtful even though my intentions are right so we don't do anything. A similar vein to that is I don't know if I'm called to do that. I don't know if there's an open door. The Samaritan's open door is there was someone bleeding on the street. Paul's open door for evangelism was he was chained to a guard that didn't know Jesus. Maybe our version of an open door isn't the same as God's version of an open door. Remember a few weeks ago in our Adult Bible Fellowship, we were reading at the end of 1 Corinthians and Paul said, there's a 
wide open door for ministry in Ephesus, and there are many adversaries. Let's not look at the adversaries as the one who has the authority to open and close the door. But God who has the authority to open and close the door. And maybe instead of saying, we know that God has uh, all these desires. He, he desires that the orphans and widows be cared for in their distress. He desires that people be visited in prison. He desires that, that people go to those who are sick in their homes and pray for them and care for them and help them to not be so lonely. So God has these desires. Maybe Scripture is the call on our lives. And maybe instead of saying, well, is there an open door? Am I, should I do this? Should I do this? Maybe we start asking, is there a reason I should not do this? Is there a reason I should not go to fill in the blank? I'm sure Scott would love you to ask, is there a reason I shouldn't go to Nepal? And unless there's a resounding answer, I think Scott would be willing to take you up into the mountains. Is there a reason I shouldn't go next door and build a relationship? Is there a reason I shouldn't become a foster parent? And there are some good reasons. But let's start with that. The second sin is just plain negligence. It's walking about and going to the other side of the road. I see a need. I have the ability to care for that need. And I'm just going to be negligent towards it. So much of our Christian energy is spent on sin prevention. We get filters for our computers. We get accountability groups. We watch our language. We watch our tempers. We do all this stuff. It's sin prevention, sin prevention, sin prevention. Let's make the Christian life about just walking with God. I'm just going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and know that as I'm doing that, Sin prevention is going to naturally occur. But I want my focus on walking with the God of heaven. And I believe as our focus becomes walking with the God of heaven, our eyes are going to be more and more open to the needs and our hearts are going to be more and more willing to do something about it. Finally, we see that Following the example of the Good Samaritan, we reach out in response to who people are, the needs we see, and ultimately, who God is. You know, we talked about the context of the parable in relation to the question, who is my neighbor? But ultimately, this parable is told on a stage. It's a story that takes place on the stage. And that stage is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If this were only about doing good deeds to those in need, where would theology impact that? Where would what God has done come in to speak to that? The reason we love our neighbor as ourself isn't because it's the right thing to do, but it's because of who God is. And we love God, and we cannot divorce loving God from loving people. Scripture doesn't allow it. God doesn't allow it. 1 John 4, if you say you love God and you hate your neighbor, you lie. You can't 
love God who you have not seen and then hate your neighbor who you have seen, hate your brother who you have seen. Loving God and loving people cannot be separated. In the same way that you can't go to a parent and say, oh, I love you, but your kid is terrible. He's just scorching the earth. I I can't stand that kid. You can't tell that to a mom or dad. Not and hope it to go well. In the same way, how could we tell God, God, I love you, but that guy you made in your image, if I never see him again, it'll be too soon. And then God says, but he's your (laughs) co-pastor. This story is ultimately answering the direct question of how do I inherit eternal life? How do I walk with God? Well, the walk with God is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. The guy didn't have any questions about loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He wanted to get out of loving a segment of the population. And through the Good Samaritan, Jesus said, because of who God is, you can't love just a segment of the population. You know, there's another piece here where ultimately, spiritually speaking, you know, sometimes when we read the Gospels, we wonder, who am I in this story? Who, who am I in the parable? And that can be dangerous to ask. But we are half dead on the side of the road. Literally, we're dead in our transgressions on the side of the road. And Jesus came along, and instead of walking on the other side of the road, He got down and he took on our affliction. He took on our sin. He became beaten and bruised. He became the half-dead guy on the cross and then the fully-dead guy on the cross for our sins. He paid for our recovery. He paid for us to have whole life. He paid for that with his blood. You know, we, we love others and we respond to needs for the glory of God, but we also do it because that's what God did for us. We had a great need that we couldn't take care of on our own, and Jesus did. Five weeks ago, we started talking about practical spirituality. And uh, what does it mean to have a relationship with the God of heaven? And we talked about these topics. Go ahead and pull that up, Kyle. We talked about follow Jesus. You love people. You don't be afraid. You listen to God. You forgive others and you reach out. And maybe there's one of those that's just particularly hard for you for one reason or another that we don't need to get into right now. Maybe there's one of those that's just really hard for you. It's really hard for you to love people. It's really hard for you to listen to God because to listen to God means you have to change some things in your life. Or means you need to start praying and reading His Word. And those are things that you'd rather avoid because of the change that will happen and all that will be said. Whatever it is, I want, here's what I want you to do. Whatever that one is, I want you to write that down. And this week, I want you to think, what are some steps that I need to take in this area? What are some steps I need to take? What, and maybe that... that re, 
enlist the people group you need to be more loving towards. Maybe that means there's a person you need to forgive, or maybe that means there's a chunk of time you need to set aside that you haven't been setting aside to pray and read Scripture. But ultimately, I want you to see that we do all of this not to better ourselves, but we do all of this because of who God is and who Jesus is and what He's done. We follow Jesus because He's worthy of being followed. We love people because of who God is and who He's made them. We're not afraid because of how great God is. We listen to God because He's worth listening to. He is the holy God of heaven. We forgive others because of what Jesus has done for us. We reach out because there's people that need to know who Jesus is, and sometimes how we tell them that is by ministering to their physical needs. We do all of this because of who Jesus is, because He's worthy, because we are called not by a, just a wise teacher who lived a long time ago, but we are, we, we are called to follow a risen Savior who purchased us with His blood. He is worthy. What else are we going to do with our lives that's worthy? The Christian life is one that's lived in light of in response to the worthiness of Jesus. During perspectives, we had this guy come and talk. His name is Brad Buser. Super good communicator. He's been used mightily by God uh, to reach people groups and mobilize and train others to do the same. And early on, he said, and the Christian life is one of gratitude. He, he said, every day you need to wake up being grateful that you're a son or a daughter of God. And the moment you stop living in gratitude for God to that is the moment you stop growing. And if you need to restart your, your growth as a Christian, start with gratitude. Let's live in thankfulness to who God is and what Jesus has done. As you think over the last few weeks, Look at these things, and, and which one of those cannot be done out of gratitude and out of worship, reflecting on who Jesus is and that He is worthy? And I hope that your obedience to God is not driven by guilt, is not driven by a need to be more righteous, but is driven by the worthiness of Jesus and the gratitude of what He's done. The closing prayer of this sermon is going to be a little different. And I want you as, you, as you think about this, you can either join with me, I hope you do, or you can just sit and reflect. But we're going to sing a song together, a cappella. And while, while we're singing, the worship team is going to come up to lead us after that. And so as we think about following Jesus, reaching out, forgiving others, listening to God, not being afraid and loving people, Let's make it about the worthiness of God. So would you close in prayer by singing with me this song? Go ahead and pull that up, Kyle. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and
and strength, honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the 